Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's NHL, Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next year's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get the bonus and get into the action. That's B-L-E-A-V. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast with Jeremy Evans. Appreciate you being here with us and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. This is episode 25 of season four, and today is Monday, uh, June 20th, 2022, and uh, wishing uh, everybody out there a a happy Father's Day uh, that occurred on on Sunday, and I hope that uh, you enjoyed time with your family or at least sometime uh, remembering uh, your father if uh, he's unfortunately passed away. But um, um, but uh, for those who uh, had the pleasure of, um, you know, uh, being with their fathers and being with their families, you know, that's uh, obviously a big blessing. I got to spend time with mine. And, um, you know, again, uh, so just happy Father's Day, everybody. So appreciate you listening in. Uh, this episode today, we have a very interesting topic. And uh, we're looking at this idea of uh, trends in streaming. And um, in business, there's this thought uh, that sort of looks at uh, what an early adopter is. Early adopter is this term in business that um, you learn in business school, but it's also something that is sort of just out there in terms of industry speak, if you will. And an early adopter is a company that essentially comes out with a product first or makes the makes some sort of adaptation in business first. And they usually have, there's graphs that you can look up on this, but usually what happens on a bell curve is, you know, essentially uh, let's say the early adopter initially sees some form of dominance uh, in the space that they're in. And then eventually over time, other competitors will come in and, and compete against that business. And then you'll see sort of, uh, that dominance begin to fall as competition increases, right? So some good examples of this might be like Netflix. They were the first to come out with streaming and they had a good 10-year run before there was another legitimate streamer that came along, uh, you know, let's say Disney or HBO or what have you. So uh, this, is a, this is a very a very big deal in business in terms of being an early adopter. It opens up a lot of opportunities uh, but we're going to be talking about that today. We're talking about uh, early adopter businesses uh, in the entertainment media and sports space or spaces uh, that have uh, are now seeing um, increasing challenges to um, it's becoming increasingly challenging uh, to stay dominant in the entertainment media and sports space, particularly in streaming. This is true across the board, but uh, you know anytime you introduce more competition, 
it's better for the consumer. Uh, but obviously, uh, businesses are um, the ones that will thrive and survive are the ones that can adapt and overcome. So uh, to give some context to uh, to this, you know, if we go back to the early part of this year in 2022, uh, Netflix, there was this big news story that came out of Hollywood Reporter, and it talked about Netflix losing subscribers. And uh, this was probably the first time really since the dawn of the creation of streaming that this occurred. And uh, there was two things that happened. The first thing that happened was the entertainment industry, uh, whether it be fans or business executives, there was sort of this gasp for air. And I'm sure the employees at Netflix and the stockholders and everything else, uh, there was sort of this gasp for air because it was the first time in really the history of Netflix that they had lost subscribers. We're talking about a 10, a 10 15 year period. And um, so there was sort of this collective what's going to happen next or what does this mean? And then there was also this other sort of contingent of folks who sort of breathed maybe a collective sigh of relief, maybe uh, uh, some challengers to Netflix or some competitors or some wannabe competitors in terms of people who wanted to challenge Netflix. This was the first tink in the armor. This was the first crack in the armor uh, of, of Netflix. And, you know, what many have sort of looked at in terms of Netflix being sort of this titan of Hollywood, particularly in the streaming space, uh, it had come to fruition, you know, in the sense that um, this idea that, you know, the early adopter um, success that Netflix had had enjoyed uh, and it ran a good business and, and put out good content that people liked and, but ultimately there's more competition and that's okay. You know, good, good competition is, uh, is, is something that's, that's well needed in the economy and, um, and something that is well needed in Hollywood, frankly from a content creation standpoint to a job standpoint to, to really everything. And if you're talking about what voices are being heard, um, you know, it's important to have competition there too, right? It's important to have everybody uh, to get the chance to tell their story. And, uh, and of course, obviously in the, the business space with Hollywood, um, you know, there's some relationships there. There's some other factors that go into why some stories get told and when some don't, um, you know, some might be better written, some might, you know, be a better relationship. There's just a whole uh, slew of, uh, of reasoning there. But the main point is, is I want to bring everybody back to this point in early 2022, where Netflix had lost subscribers. And there was this sort of collective, you know, kind of gas for air, but then also this sort of collective sigh of relief as to Netflix and what that meant for um, the future, right? Now, on the one hand, you had sort of Hollywood insiders and executives that were not employed by Netflix or not connected with them through some studio deal. Well, where they were um, probably pretty happy, you know, um, when you're in a competitive business in any space, you know, when you when you beat your opponent, um, uh, usually that that's a good thing. Now, in this case, it wasn't that Netflix was being beat by their opponent. I guess you could argue that because they had some new challengers that were coming in. But, you know, they're still the dominant player in the streaming space next to Disney and, and Amazon. But Netflix still has a brand to it that, of course, Disney and Amazon and these other folks have. But Netflix, I still think, is the, the most dominant player, particularly when it comes to streaming numbers. And they're continuing to grow overseas. But, you know, ultimately, I think some of the Hollywood insiders and executives sort of saw this as an opportunity 
and saw this as a, a sort of point in time where we might look back and say, okay, this is the point when uh, Netflix's sort of early adopter advantage and a dominance was being challenged and was potentially coming to an end. Now, of course, if Netflix continues to put out good content and they continue to add more, you know, subscribers, and this was just sort of anomaly, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, well, then, you know, Netflix may continue to dominate. But uh, there is some some examples of some of this early adopter phenomenon um, that has benefited other entertainment companies that is um, slowly starting to to um, not come to an end, but um, the big the band, so to speak, is is beginning to slow down its music. Right, it's uh, beginning to play maybe a slow song or something uh, in that sense, and so uh, and this has gone beyond sort of Netflix and Tinseltown, right? This has gone beyond Hollywood. And so to give an example of this, uh, we have to look, so we can look at Disney. There was this great Hollywood Reporter article talking about Viacom being the winner of the Indian Premier League games. Now, if anybody's not familiar with the Indian Premier League, this is the cricket league overseas in India. And for folks who don't like cricket, don't watch it, um, this is probably one of the biggest leagues in the world. Um, now that's made um, uh, obviously a little bit easier in the sense that um, when you look at India, for example, you've got 2 billion people, right? And, and, and so in the sense that you have a population that is very passionate about cricket. So I, I would maybe compare um, the passion for cricket in India to maybe the passion for baseball, um, you know, and, and maybe uh, the, maybe 1900 to like 1960 sort of time frame here in the United States. And of course, India is a very, you know, de developed country. And obviously, um, you know, like, like, like many parts of the world, you know, you have undeveloped parts as well. Um, but I think ultimately you have this huge population uh, of, a, of a democratic country that is looking at um, ways to grow and they're looking at ways to um to sort of bring in uh, the, it, the the world to to its doorstep, and that's that's really done well through sports. And so the Indian Premier League, and we've written articles, we've talked about it on this show. Uh, this is a big deal. Indian Premier League. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars in contracts. We're talking billions of dollars in sponsorships. Uh, maybe another comparison on a maybe a lesser level would be Formula One. Formula One is beginning to gain some access. Um, uh, by nature of Netflix, uh, by the way, which is somewhat uh, ironic, and uh, the Drive to Survive series, but now you're starting to see these races pull up in Las Vegas and you know Austin, and they're talking about other parts of the world and other parts of the country. But uh, the Indian Premier League is growing, and you have Major League Cricket here in the United States. You have cricket leagues across the country, um, and, and it's growing. And of course, in, in India, it's it's a huge. Uh, there's a huge interest there. Uh, and I think there was a, a statistic at one point, it was a couple of years ago, I wrote about this, talking about the Indian Premier League and how much value it had in terms of its broadcast dollars. And in terms of, um, I mean, we're talking top five, right, in, in the world. And it's not something you would normally think of. You would think, oh, Premier League, National Football League, maybe the, you know, the big four in the United States with NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA. NFL, but you know, normally you would think Premier League, uh, La Liga, 
um, you know, you, you would sort of think in, you know, Serie A in terms of soccer, you would think of those, uh, those different leagues, you know, NBA, NFL, but Indian Premier League is top five. Uh, there's some statistics even put them in the number one spot. So this is a big deal and it's growing. So now for the last, let's say five years or so, Disney had controlled the rights to the IPL games. And uh, they streamed it on their platform, Hotstar, that's uh, H-O-T-S-T-A-R. And uh, Disney just lost out on the rights. So Viacom beat them out for the rights and Viacom paid well over uh, $6 billion for these rights. So again, this is a big deal, right? Uh, and of course, the, the point being is, is that you know, Disney has been this new dominant player that's come along. Not so much the early adopter, but maybe in the sense that they were early adopter in that um, they were one of the first streamers to put um, uh, live sports on their streaming platform. And this was via Hotstar, which is their um, equivalent of an ESPN or a Netflix type streamer in India, but it's owned by Disney. So there's some reports out there talking about Disney may indeed um, end up losing 15 to uh, 20 million subscribers for losing the Indian Premier League rights. And uh, this is interesting because this is the first time in my knowledge, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time in, in my knowledge and sort of what I know that Viacom has purchased live sports rights for a streaming platform under its umbrella. And uh, HBO has talked about it. Um, but this is the first time, I, I, to my knowledge, this has been done. Now, if you're talking about Bleacher Report and these other, these other platforms that Viacom owns. but So this is a big deal. But I think it also plays into sort of the Viacom, um, sort of uh, Warner Media Discovery, um, you know, type, uh, um, you know, business in that, you know, you sort of, you, you, you build the platform. Uh, and then you add the content, right? And so this is a big deal. And it's, if you look at Apple, if you look at Amazon, some of these other companies that were looking at adding streaming to their, to their streaming platforms, they did it in little bite-sized chunks, right? So it was like, okay, let's do Friday night doubleheader games for Apple. Let's do uh, Sunday morning games uh, for, um, for NBC and their platform, um, you know, Peacock, right? Their streaming platform. So it was sort of little bite-sized chunks. Even Amazon, with how big that company is and the resources it has, really took a bite-sized chunk in terms of saying, now, of course, we're talking about billions of dollars, but still uh, of not saying we're going to purchase a full season, which is typical maybe more for a network. Um, and now in this case with Disney in terms of um, losing out its IPL rights to Viacom. But um you know, really only Amazon was only picking up on uh, Thursday night football games. So we're not talking about, you know, a full slate of Sunday games or, you know, all of the NFC or all of the AFC, right? So uh, this is a big deal for, for Disney. And, and again, Disney being one of the first to stream live sports. Because remember, Disney did this on Hulu as well for a period of time. They had some hockey games on, um, on the Hulu platform. And we'll sort of see how that plays out down the road. And of course, if we're continuing in this sports space and uh, sticking strictly with sports and not sort of as the mixture between entertainment and sports um, content on streaming platforms, if you look at, um, you know, now you have the XFL uh, coming out for the third time, 
in terms of uh, as, as a league, you have the second iteration of the United States Football League or USFL, which was really big in the 80s. Uh, and is now making a comeback and looks like there might even be some players out of the USFL that will be drafted and or not drafted, but uh, signed into the NFL um, onto some rosters there. And then, of course, the early adopter business in this context being the NFL. Now, is the USFL and the XFL in their current iterations going to challenge the XF or the NFL? Probably not but it does open up some opportunities. And the fact that the USFL has been able to play games and consistently, uh, I think is a big deal. And we'll see what happens with the XFL when that goes live. Um, now, of course, there was the Alliance of American Football, the AAF, that, that uh, um, was launched back in 2020. But of course, COVID happened. They stopped the league and, and sort of that was the end of that, right? And of course, the second iteration of the NFL or the XFL, which is now um, the third, uh, currently with, with Dwayne Johnson leading that effort, uh, that also had launched in 2020, but um, but obviously lost out because of uh, COVID and the restrictions and the fan bases and everything else. Now, of course, the advantage that the NFL has, just like every other sport, particularly the Big Five or Big Four, if you will, Major League Baseball, the NBA. Uh, the NHL and MLS, particularly I would say with the first four, MLB, NHL, NBA, and NFL, those are the big four, because um, MLS has a lot of competition when it comes to not from as a major soccer league here in the United States, because MLS is clearly the, 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 the leader in that, but in terms of globally, um, you have a lot more competition, and people would even argue higher level competition when you're talking about uh, Syria, La Liga, and, and the Premier League um, in the UK. So now, of course, Major League Baseball is seeing some challenge to it to its antitrust exemption. Uh, there's been Congress has been kind of circling the wagons, so to speak, thinking about this and talking about it. Whether it actually happens, I doubt it. Uh, but I think the point being here is is that the NFL, like every other big professional league, you know, holds a distinct advantage. That is very hard to overcome in that all the best players go to the NFL, all the best coaches, brands, and teams, they play under one established uh, professional league. And they maintain, you know, if it's not limited or, or um, you know, full antitrust exemptions, that puts them in a very good spot, right, to, um, to not have to compete with other leagues. And, of course, in entertainment, you do have established players as well, um, you know, where you have studios and networks that have been in the business for a while. And so they do have some, some leverage there. The difference with sports is, is that every five years, live sports rights go up for sale. So it provides this sort of continual window where new properties, new, new, new competition can come in and challenge if they've got the money and the wherewithal, wherewithal to, to, to close a deal. Uh, so I think the constant selling and reselling of live sports rights allows the purchase price to not only go up, uh, but the reality of it is it almost always goes up. That just doesn't really happen in the entertainment space. Yes, you know, new series and um, films do get licensed to platforms and when they, ex you know, ex expire on one, but it's just different. It's not a huge league that's up. It's not like this would be the equivalent of like, let's say CBS and all of its television shows uh, being put up for licensing at one period of time every five years. It's just unlikely because, those shows didn't start at the same time. They've launched at this, you know, different times. They've, 
you know, completely different properties. Whereas in sports, it's like you have one big overarching league and you have all these established trademarks and brands below it uh, that are pushing sports content, right? You know, in terms of playing live sports, which essentially creates itself in terms of the content or the storyline. And of course, you've got the um, the industries that support that in terms of, you know, the production of the game, the the talking about the game, the analytics, the, all that stuff, the analyst, everything. So, and again, from an entertainment standpoint, intellectual property rights for film and television libraries generally last for longer, and they do not change hands unless it's you're talking about being distributed non-exclusively on one streaming platform to another. That's usually what it is, and usually things will last, again, copyright, you know, life of the author, I think, plus 75 years, right? So this is a long time that this is going on for, and it's sort of funny, usually around every time that that sort of public domain art, you know, issue comes up. It's a situation of going, oh, okay, well now this piece of the piece of the library, this piece of property, intellectual property, is now in the public domain. So it opens up a window, but it's it's pretty rare, right? Whereas sports as a collective does it every few years. So again, you know, intellectual property rights, uh, you know, it's not going to come up as often as let's say sports. Um, but there's also some other interesting things that are happening. You know, it's sort of this idea of sort of the wide distribution strategy is beginning to change. We're sort of looking to put content on multiple platforms at multiple times, which I think helps the consumer because they, um, you know, ultimately can access different things on different platforms. Maybe not, not the greatest for uh, having exclusivity on distribution, but the wide distribution strategy is, um, is coming under challenge. Because as these platforms continue to grow and have more, have more challengers and more competition, they're looking for ways to have exclusivity on their platforms so that they're not in the position of um, having to crawl back content or having to compete with a competing platform because they you know, host the same content. So again, looking for ways to have your content appear exclusively on your platform, um, and then, of course, there's also this idea of Web 3.0, uh, which we've talked about on this show and we've written about. And it's this idea of driving uh, creatives to reach consumers more directly with self-controlled distribution. So let's say a creator you know, using um, their own streaming platform or using YouTube to reach people. It's sort of this idea of you know, creative direct to consumer versus going through a studio, a network, or what have you. And of course... Again, studios and networks are pushing uh, increasingly towards more exclusive control over how their content is distributed. This is both a competition thing of them trying to, to um, have one up on the competitor to say, hey, we've got all this content and you can't get it anywhere else. Um, there's nothing more positive in the sense of um, moving up the, um, you know, moving up the revenue when you're talking about content that is exclusive to one platform. And if you have a fan base of a particular show that really likes something, they're going to pay the money to see that show. They're going to find a way to see that show. And it's usually going to be through paying money through a subscription. So, uh, and then of course, the other option here with, with some of these um, entertain, entertainment sort of studios and networks is um, mergers and acquisitions. So not only is it sort of pushing the strategy of um, sort of, um, more focused distribution versus wide, uh, this idea of creatives continuing to reach consumers more directly 
which kind of cuts out the middleman in some sense, or it gives the middleman who is normally the most powerful in these relationships in terms of the studios and networks, giving the power to the creative. Or the third piece is basically the studios and networks essentially just purchase other horizontal uh, distribution partners. So this would be the equivalent of Warner purchasing or Discovery purchasing Warner, right? And sort of having access to HBO and also Discovery Plus. So I think, you know, again, competition is going to continue to uh, to grow. Uh, I think uh, content is at its best when it's, when it's competitive and when people are looking for opportunities. Um, but it's one of those things as well that, you know, ultimately you need good content to drive subscribers to your platform. And this is the problem that Netflix and others, others are going to have is that as, as there's more streamers out there and there's more ways to get content uh, and with people spending more time on their phones, viewing content and more times on YouTube, more time on YouTube, you're going to continue to be challenged for time. So I think uh, early adopters like Netflix in terms of the streaming, uh, Disney in terms of a sports distribution, um, they're all going to be challenged now. And there's going to be more and more companies looking to distribute content and creating that sort of level of competition. But, um, and, you know, as, as consumers, we're all going to be sitting back and watching this go on and participating in it. So uh, again, folks, appreciate listening in. This is uh, this week's episode of Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. Thank you again for making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. Again, wishing everybody a happy Father's Day this uh, this last Sunday and uh, look forward to being with you uh, very soon. Thank you again. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube